0: about uh, cloning as, as also a very effective main means of increasing your production. Cloning can be done in several ways, uh, cuttings, division, layering, and even grafting. Now, I'll talk about a couple of these just by way of introduction. Cloning, which is asexual reproduction, we, by that we mean it's reproducing the same genetics of our original parent plant. We're not mixing chromosomes. We're not mixing genetics. A really good example of why we do this is, for instance, in the mint family, there are many, many different varieties of mint. And if you start mint from a seed, mint cross-pollinates so easy that you almost never get a mint true to type. So... So uh, back home, I've got a greenhouse business. I sell um, veggie starts and herbs at the farmer's market. So coming back to this mint, there are many varieties of, say, peppermint. But there's very, very few really, really nice varieties of peppermint. A good variety of peppermint is going to just grab you by the ears and shake you because it smells like a peppermint, um, like a candy cane factory. It's just, it's cool, it's crisp, and it's sweet. When you find that peppermint plant, you want to save that plant and reproduce its genetics. And you can't do that by seed. I've got a mint that, uh, it's called strawberry mint. Anybody heard of that one? Strawberry mint. It smells like minty strawberries. Another one's banana mint. It's a little more demure and, and just kind of retiring, uh, kind of an introvert plant. Not really aggressive as the men's usually are, but it smells like bananas. You can't find these things out there. It's just hard to do. So when you find that, that just that one special plant, you want to be able to reproduce that one. So... <clears throat> So how do we do this? Well, like I said, we can do this by, by cuttings, which is usually taking just the, the tip of our plant, or by taking side shoots. We can do this by division, simply dividing uh, a clumping plant into multiple sections, layering. Uh, layering is simply taking a, a shoot from the plant and rooting it before we take it off the, the, uh, the parent plant, or grafting. Divisions, like I said, it's simply, I've got this plant, it's in the garden or it's in a pot, but it's too crowded. And with divisions on a clumping plant, we just simply either use a shovel or by hand, and if it's in a small pot, we can just pull it apart into two pieces. Now we've got two plants. Or we can dig it up and we can pull it apart completely down to the individual shoot. and sometimes... We can get hundreds of plants. A few years ago, I dug up a uh, Siberian iris. It's a black Siberian iris that I had in my mom's flower bed. And it was a clump about that big around. Um, I wanted it for farmer's market, so I dug up that clump that was about this big around down into individual shoots, and I made about 200-gallon pots of plants. And at five bucks a plant, that's not bad. (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's going to take a couple years for that to grow up and make a nice, thick, full plant. But uh, that's the power of division. Uh, Layering, several ways to do layering. The simplest way is to take a long branch or shoot and lay it down on the ground, pin it to the ground, and put a shovel full of dirt over that stem. In about a season or so, it will grow roots. And then once it's got its own roots, cut it off the parent plant, dig it up, and transplant it elsewhere. Uh, another way of doing layering, what's called air layering, is skin off some of the bark in about an inch of the stem, maybe down, you know, however long you want that cutting to be. I've done this with blueberries and just come about a foot down from the, the tip of the, the, the branch, skin the bark off, and then take a, uh, basically you're kind of making a hot dog, with a piece of plastic and some potting soil and just wrap, around, wrap that, that uh, around the, uh, that scraping, and then tie it off on either side so the plastic kind of encases that potting soil. And in about a season or so, over the course of, say, a summer, uh, that, that will grow roots, and towards the end of the season, you're peeking into the plastic. If you see those roots in there, go ahead and cut it off and transplant it wherever you'd like it. So that's, uh, that's layering, don't want to go into that too much, but co- coming back to the, the basics of cuttings, several things I want to talk about, uh, herbaceous versus perennial woody cuttings, I want to talk about rooting hormone, tools, tray sizes, <coughs> creating environmental conditions that are conducive to good rooting, I want to talk about mother stock and about timing, so we'll start off with the herbaceous cuttings. These can be annuals or perennials. Uh, what I'm looking for is to get typically the shoot of a plant, inch and a half or anywhere from about a half inch to two inches long. Um, and I want new growth. If if you notice right outside this building, there's a big rosemary bush. Well, the plant is dormant right now, so it wouldn't make very good cuttings. Uh, it tends to be very woody, right up to about an inch of the, the, the tip of that stem. It just it wouldn't make good cuttings right now. What makes the very best cuttings is in the spring, when, you, when you're starting to get that first flush of, of new uh, tender growth. Usually those first shoots that come out are the, the thickest stems. They're just the heaviest cuttings. Those make the very best cuttings. And the reason why is that the tissue of that plant in that fresh vegetative stage is still able to, to change from, from stem cell growth to and switching over to becoming root cells. That fresh tender growth just makes that transfer, that transfer real uh, easily, very streamlined. Whereas when it's old and woody, it becomes a lot dif- more difficult to to switch gears genetically and go from stem cells to root cells. So, so whether it's an annual or a perennial, I want that fresh new growth. So if you look at this plant, anybody know what this plant is? Just... It's rosemary, that's right. Uh, it's rosemary, but if you see what has happened on this plant, it's almost done blooming. You see all those, those buds. It's almost done flowering. Um, after it gets done flowering, it's going into a vegetative state, vegetative growth. Plants, like animals, like people, when it's in, the, when it's in reproductive mode, nothing else will get done. So after it starts getting out of that reproductive mode, it will start growing. And that's where you get this flush of green growth. And if you notice the color on those shoots, what color? Kind of that bright lime, fast growing, we're happy about life. And that's what I want to key in on. Those will make really good cuttings. So so that's what I'm looking for. Examples of things that cut very well, Basil, catnip, chamomile, fuchsia. I wouldn't worry about writing all this down, but you can see fuchsias, lavender, lavender, lemon balm, uh, lemon verbena. How many of you are familiar with lemon verbena? That's a marvelous plant. How many of you, uh, just throw this out, how many of you like saffron rice? Anybody? Okay, next year, plant some lemon verbena and dice it up and put it in your saffron rice. It's really good. It looks pretty because the saffron rice is, is gold, right? And, and the bright green lemon verbena leaves in there, it's just the green and the gold is a very pretty dish, and it just gives it just a hint of lemon. Really good. Try it out. Um, rosemary, sage, winter savory stevia, just so many different kinds of things that you can do by cuttings. Um, the two on that list, lavender and rosemary, are just a little bit harder than everything else but completely doable once you get the conditions just right. So what I'm looking for on what I would consider, on average, the most perfect cutting is I'm wanting about an inch to an inch and a half of the tip of that plant. That makes the very best cutting. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut that plant. I'm going to come down about an inch, inch and a half, And I'm going to cut about a quarter to three-eighths of an inch below the last set of leaves that are left on that little cutting. And if you notice, I've pulled that last set of leaves off on this cutting, which happens to be a spearmint. And you notice the cut is about a quarter of an inch below that last set of leaves. Can you all see that? And then I want to make sure that... Okay, so I've picked off those first two biggest leaves... I want about a third to half of the stem of that plant bare so I can poke it down into my soil. In this case, just picking off that first set of leaves cleared off about half of that stem, so that's plenty. Also, the leaves that is remaining, the leaves that are remaining, cumulatively I want a leaf area of about the size of a 50 cent piece. So there's basically four leaves on that plant. Um, besides the little tip. If I took those four leaves off and just put them side by side, they would make about the leaf area of a 50 cent piece. That's kind of what I'm going for. If you get way more leaf area, um, you you get just so much transportation, uh, not transportation, transpiration. And... Having been cut and there's no roots on this plant, the plant will almost find it impossible to keep up with the photosynthesis and it'll just wilt and, and die. If you take off too many leaves, you don't have enough leaf area to do the photosynthesis to create the energy to produce the roots. <laughs> so you want about that much leaf area, about the size of a 50 cent piece on average. On geraniums and other really thick-stemmed plants, use a knife to cut them. I'll talk about tools in just a few slides here. But on a thick-stemmed plant, like geraniums, this is an ivy geranium, uh, works even better on zonal geraniums, which typically have a stem that's very large, and it's a tender stem. So if you use, like, snips or scissors to cut that stem, you damage a huge amount of that stem And that damaged tissue will just die and rot and then just introduce disease into the whole plant, and then it'll die. So a nice clean cut, a quarter inch below the last set of leaves. On this cutting, I'm going to take off those two big leaves. What's left is a little bit less than a 50-cent piece by a fair bit, but that's okay. It couldn't support those two big leaves. So that's what I do for geraniums. Another peculiar thing about geraniums, don't poke them deep into the soil. Only poke them about a quarter of an inch into the soil. It's going to be hard to keep them standing up because they're only in the soil, that, that, that tiny little bit. Um, but they're a little bit finicky too, but um, quarter inch in the soil and get them to stand upright. And they'll root fine. As far as woody perennials go, if you notice... On a lot of shrubs, the woody perennials, about three inches or so down, oftentimes the, the tip of the plant is green as far as the stem goes. The stem is green. And then about three inches or four inches down, it turns brown and woody. On a woody perennial, I want to cut down and get about uh, maybe half inch or so of that brown woody growth. So if you look at this picture, it doesn't really show the brown woody part, but it's definitely a longer cutting than our herbaceous cuttings. And if you notice, the the bottom part of that stem that has been all cleared off, you notice it's been skinned off. What we want to do with these woody cuttings is we want to scarify that stem. We want to scrape the bark off. And what happens by doing that scarification is that induces the plant to want to scab over, and when it starts putting scab or developing scab cells, those are undifferentiated cells that can just as quickly turn into root cells and produce roots. If you don't scarify, you'll have terrible success. But just take your your shears, like that pair of orange-handled shears there, um, orchard pruners that are big and heavy, don't work so well unless they're razor sharp. So get a fine, if you're going to do some woody cuttings, get some real fine, very sharp uh, uh, shears like this one here in the picture. Uh, But you just scrape off the, the half inch or so of the bottom of that stem, put it in rooting hormone. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then these woody perennials, because it takes a lot longer to root them, we want to put those in straight pumice or perlite. It's very, um, it's very loose. It's a very heavy grain. You're going to get a lot more uh, airflow in that rooting media. <clears throat> if I do a, a woody perennial in potting soil or plug mix like I'm using for our, our regular herbaceous cuttings, it's just too wet, and it, it will just rot. So we need something really light like super coarse sand or pumice or perlite. And we can see that in this picture. Uh, vermiculite is something different. <clears throat> vermiculite holds a lot of water uh, because of its, its structure, uh, microscopic structure if you were to look at it. Um, so pumice, perlite, or really, really coarse sand... Uh, will often work. This particular cutting is an arborvita shrub, and the cutting itself is probably about three, three and a half inches long, and you notice I've gotten down into that, that brown woody stem, and then I've just taken my shears and just scraped off the bark, give it some uh, fairly strong rooting hormone, and then just poke it down into that perlite that you see uh, there in the picture. It's going to take these plants, these woody uh, shrubs, more on the neighborhood of of two months or so to root. A little bit longer than our herbaceous cuttings. Examples of these woody perennials might be arborvita, boxwoods, grapes, although grapes we do a little bit different technique. I've got a picture at the very end. I might show you on the grapes. Uh, Junipers, we've done just Thousands and thousands of junipers. Uh Ioannimus, spirea, laurel. Uh, There's so many different uh, woody shrub plants that can be propagated by uh, just simple cuttings. A little bit harder to do, like I said. And it takes a little bit longer than the, uh, than the herbaceous plants, but still just as doable. As far as tools go... Uh, my most favorite tool is the orange-handled buy-it-at-your-local-fabric-store thread snips. Um, they work really, really good. With the little finger loop, you can just put that around your finger so that you don't have to keep putting some, putting them down, picking them, the pots up, moving the pots around, and grabbing the cuttings. They're just always stuck to your hand. Um, so you can multitask without having to keep setting things down. Um, probably done millions of cuttings with, with those orange-handled snips. They're just really, really nice. And the nice thing about those is you can resharpen them. The blue-handled set of uh, clippers, I've used that style of clipper for just the scads of cuttings as well, uh, and it works very, very good. Long, thin, pointy, sharp uh, blades that can get into that plant and cut the stem or cut the leaves off. <coughs> Something else to mention, and you'll figure this out as you start doing this, but on the herbaceous cuttings, for instance, rosemary, if this is herbaceous, I could usually get away with the rosemary by just pulling, just made a liar out of me, um, by just plucking the leaves off and, and exposing the bottom part of that stem what you don't want to do on the herbaceous cuttings is strip the bark off that stem, which is what just happened here because it's woody, which is okay on the woody cutting, right? But on, on the tender plants, you don't want to tear the skin off of that stem by p- pulling the leaves off. And different plants um, are, are work differently on this mint. You can just pull them off because mint is tough and you can't hardly kill a mint. <clears throat> and so, just pull them off other plants, you have to be very careful. get in there with your snips and snip them off so you don 't peel the stem down and Just playing around with it you 'll figure it out really quick uh, how much abuse those cuttings can take, and uh, you know which ones you have to do either way with the with the snips or you can just pull them off as far as rooting hormone goes. <clears throat> Uh, going from the left, that, that little c- container there is a product called DynaGro. It's actually a gel. It smells a lot like uh, vitamins. It smells very vitamin y. Uh, but that product's a gel. Works okay. The next uh, two little white bottles are a product called Hormidin. It actually comes in three different strengths. Hormidin number one is a very. Um, dilute, rooting hormone, I would use that for almost all of my herbaceous cuttings, all the way to number three, which is very concentrated for the the woody, the real woody cuttings. <clears throat> it's a powder. The, the rooting hormone right next to that, called root tone, is also a powder. And the one on the right is dip and grow. It's a liquid. Now the powders are a talcum powder base, um, and I've used all of these products. There's one that's not pictured that uh, you see it quite often. It's called Hormax. And it's just a very sim, uh, similar to the other two powders in the middle there. Uh, the Dip and Grow is the one I prefer because it's a water alcohol base as a liquid. So when I take that cutting, just think about it. You cut your hand off to start a new human. Well, it doesn't work that way with us, but <laughs> imagine if it did. You have an exposed surface, right, that, that is exposed to infection, same way with the plants. The nice thing about that liquid uh, hormone with that alcohol in it, that alcohol will kill off um, more pathogens and sterilize that cut a lot better than the, than the, uh, the, the powdered based hormones. So I like using the uh, the liquid dip and grow. And a little bit goes a long, long way. So you know, just a little container will last you probably all season. Let's look at cutting trays, trays that we're going to put our cuttings in. So if you notice, I've put on this picture little red lines. And I've done that for a reason. These two plug trays are are my standard trays that I use to do my cuttings in. The one on the left is a 105 cell, so there's 105 little cells in that tray. The one on the right has 84 cells in that tray. If you notice, if you're really sharp, that both trays are seven cells wide, and then however many cells long the tray happens to be. A couple of other things I want to point out on this on these trays. You notice the little holes between the cells. In the olden days, the trays didn't have those little holes, and what would happen is the tray would dry out around the edge way faster than the, the tray would dry out in this middle. And so it just became a nightmare to keep everything evenly watered. So by putting those holes in there, everything evaporates a lot more consistently, and it's much easier to keep an even moisture content across that um, across that tray. Another thing to notice is you notice those plugs are not round. One is hexagonal, and the other one is kind of round, but it's got these little ribs on the inside of the, the plug. What will happen when a plant starts rooting in a round plug tray is the roots will go out, hit the round side, And just start doing this. Just start spiraling. And then it makes it very difficult when you go to transplant that to untangle, unspiral those roots, pull them down, damaging the roots. And it it just doesn't work as well as a tray that has, or a plug that has edges on it. So the roots will come out. They might start going sideways, but they'll hit an edge and they'll turn and go straight down. Makes a much better cutting. So if you pick up a couple of Uh, plug trays somewhere along the line, don't get ones that don't have those little holes and don't get ones that are round, smooth and round. Don't work nearly as well. So something I want to point out here, almost all of my cuttings are going into 4-inch pots. So there on the left is a flat of 4-inch pots. And if you notice, do some counting real quick here, there are three rows of six pots. Do you see that? In my four-inch flat. So there are 18 pots per four-inch flat that I take to market. Well, if I look at just three rows of my plug tray, do the count, I've got 21 cells in three rows of my plug tray. You see that? Because it's seven wide that allows me to take three extra cuttings so that if a couple fail, as long as I still have an 85% rooting rate, I've got enough cuttings to fill that four-inch uh, flat. And there's, there's nothing more of a pain than having not enough cuttings so that you're like two cuttings short of a full flat. Two core. Quor- Two cuttings short of a full load. That's like a few bricks short of a full load. Um, but anyway, so you see what I'm saying? And, and if they all root, well, that's fine to, because I can take those extra three cuttings and just put them in with one of the cuttings or a couple of the cuttings that are smaller than the rest. So I'll just double up on three of them that may be a little bit smaller than the rest, and they'll come out and, and be just fine. So that's something to keep in mind, is do multiples of whatever size of flat that you're going to eventually put them in. Another thing to keep in mind that I forgot to mention was I'm shooting for a plug cell that's about a quarter of the size of my final pot. So I'm going into um, four-inch pots. So those plugs are about an inch, inch and a quarter around about a quarter of the the final size that it's going to wind up in. That's about the the right ratio. As far as rooting media goes, the one bad thing about this picture is the soil that's on the right is damp. The soil on the left is bone dry. Don't pay any attention to the color difference. That's kind of distracting. But the soil on the left is a potting... No, excuse me is not a potting mix. The stuff on the right is a just your general basic potting mix. It's got pumice, uh, peat moss as its primary ingredient. But the, the pumice and the grade of peat moss that's in there is fairly coarse. When you put those coarse ingredients in a plug tray, the dynamics of that little plug change drastically from cell to cell. Even one little piece of of, of large pumice in a cell can change the dynamics of what happens in that cell drastically from cell to cell. So for doing these herbaceous cuttings, you want to buy a, a bag of soil mix that's labeled seedling mix or sometimes it's labeled plug mix. It's a much finer graded uh, uh, product. The uh, it actually has the little white flecks in the uh, plug mix are actually um, vermic- not vermiculite perlite perlite and it's a much more finely graded uh, uh, peat moss, so it makes a much more consistent mix in those little tiny plugs and that's important to have uniformity <clears throat> uh, across that that plug tray. So plug mix or seedling mix uh, works much better for our herbaceous cuttings. As far as environmental conditions go, what favors root growth is cool tops and a relatively speaking warm root zone. Because that's where we want things to happen is down under the soil where those roots should be. And we do this by a couple of things. Number one, we shade the plant a little bit. We want bright but indirect sunlight. As much light as we can get, but we want it indirect because we're stressing that plant because it has no roots. It has no way to pick up water or moisture except by just absorption at this point. So... So we want to minimize that brightness. We want to slow down the photosynthesis a little bit. Root zone heating especially helps the plant at night. Um, the, the tops have cooled down, so the, they create less of a demand for, for moisture. And the other thing we want to do is early on when we first make our cuttings, we want to mist them. Um, that also uh, brings down that um, that demand for for moisture that can evaporate the the uh, or wilt the plant. Something that I keep in mind: if I can keep my my cuttings from wilting the first three days of life, I've got ninety percent of the battle licked. So just keep them from from wilting the first three days. And it will develop a little bit of a scab over that cut. It will slow things down as far as the demand for moisture. And like I said, as long as I can get that first three days without wilting, uh, I know I'm probably going to have pretty good success. Now, obviously, most of us probably aren't thinking about the scale of that picture. But it's, it just kind of shows and demonstrates these are actually plug trays of seed. But it, it's the same way with cuttings. In this picture, you notice you've got the PVC coming up from underneath the bench with little mister heads on them. You can either come up from below or come down like this picture. The uh the misting nozzles are coming down from the ceiling. Now the way the reason this works is because just before that little misting head. There's a little pressure compensating valve that, when the when the water is actually shut off, that little pressure compensator shuts off the water flow so that it can't drip and empty that that long piece of pipe on the three or four cuttings right below it. If you don't have that compensator, it'll blow out the cuttings right below where it's dripping. You know, just it's waste wasteful and it'll ruin it. So you've got to have these little compensators in there so that it doesn't continue to drip when the pressure is shut off. That's very, I learned that the hard way years ago. <clears throat> as far as misting nozzles, uh, I used the one in the middle, which uh, is called a, fog, a fog-it nozzle. You can get those at most uh, garden centers. It just screws on the end of a hose. That's the one I use right now because I, I'm not doing a tremendous amount of cuttings at this point uh, I also am a beekeeper, and so most of my energies in the last few years have been moving more into the beekeeping aspect of our business. So I've been growing that. So I don't have all the fancy equipment at this point. I've just got that Foget nozzle at the end of the hose. So when I do my cuttings, which is you know two or three flats at a time, plug trays at a time, I'll just scoot them under the, one of the tables in my greenhouse and fog them a couple of times a day and for the first couple of days, that's fine. But then again, I live in the Pacific Northwest, and that big, bright, shiny thing that's up in the sky right now, we rarely see in the winter. <laughs> so it's easy to not worry about stressing my plants because it's too bright, too hot. Um, some of you that live like maybe down here, you're going to have to pay a little bit more attention to keeping those plants uh, uh, misted a little more often than that. The misting heads, that that one on the left, the brass one, works really good. It puts out a really fine spray out to about two feet. Um, the black heads, you notice they're color-coded. Uh, they put out different flow rates. So if, you, if you're setting up... A, an area that you want a lot of cuttings. Maybe you're working into a farmer's market and you're going to do a lot. There's lots of different Mr. Heads out there, and you know, once you start looking, you'll start seeing flow rates and, and just how much they put out, and it's just kind of playing around with how far out do they go. You want to overlap them so that there's no dry areas. So you wind up usually putting these things quite close together. <clears throat> Maybe... If if it's got a three foot spread as far as where it'll mist out to, <clears throat> put them like about a foot apart. And so there's lots and lots of overlap. So there's no real wet areas six inches away from a real dry spot on the edge. As far as timers go, uh like I said, in in what I'm doing right now, I don't need fancy nozzles or or timers because I'm just doing a few uh, flats at a time. Just poke them under a table where they're getting indirect sunlight uh, and just mist them a few times in a day. But, But in the past, I've used timers similar to this. There's two dials there. One dial regulates how much time the water is actually turned on And the other dial is how frequently the water turns on and shuts off. So for a timer that you want to use for cuttings, you want it to go down to a 3 to 5 second interval so that you can turn that thing down so the water will come on and miss those cuttings for 3 to 5 seconds at a minimum so that you can turn it up and, and give it more on on warmer days, middle of summer, where it's real hot, you might turn that up a bit. And you want a frequency rate of 15 to 20 to 30 minutes. So if I'm down here in a greenhouse setting and it's July and I'm still doing cuttings and it's, what's the temperature here in July? Just plain hot? Okay, so... So I'm going to have those that that cycle turned up to about maybe 5 to 10 seconds misting every 15 minutes. I'm also going to have a cooling fan on that greenhouse. So I'm going to I'm also going to cool that greenhouse down as well. So but you know, if I get a string of of a week of cloudy days at that rate, my plants are going to get waterlogged. So I'm going to go in there and I'm going to turn that rate way down. So it's maybe watering for three to five seconds every hour. If it's kind of a cold, cloudy day, you're not going to need quite as much mist on that. How much time do I have here? It's 10 o'clock. Oh, good. Uh, This is another type of timer um, that you can just plug a solenoid into. So typically people that are are making a built-in system that's a little bit bigger. Typically, they'll use a solenoid rather than just, uh, like these two timers, as you can see, they just hook onto a faucet and just run a hose to your misting system. This tends to be more of a built-in thing where you've got the timer that regulates that plug-in. Um, but the same, same features, two dials, uh, changes the rate and the frequency. As far as root zone heating, you can do this many different ways. If you look in your seed catalogs, you can uh, oftentimes near the back of the seed catalog, you see these grow mats. Don't buy those. Those are way, way too expensive. And they're little. You can only get just a couple of flats or one flat on those grow mats. They're just terribly expensive. Heating cables are a little bit less expensive. And if you really want to go economical, just go get a... um, Electric blanket from a second-hand store. And then carefully take it all apart and get the cables out of it. And just like this picture, where those yellow cables are, you're going to bury those down into real coarse sand, maybe an inch or so. And that's going to dissipate the heat and make that whole bench top nice and evenly warm. The nice thing about the, the electric blanket, you've got the dial control so you can set it so that that soil... Underneath that plug tray is about 70 degrees. That's going to make that little root zone part of the plant really, really happy. <clears throat> In this picture, the the sand is just pulled away to expose this, the, the cables. The sand would go back. And then I would put a, a woven weed barrier fabric over that sand. Because you don't want your plugs, when they start growing and putting roots out the bottom of the plug to grow down into the sand, and then you're pulling sand away every time you pull the plug tray away. You don't want that to happen because it's going to mess up your table. I've also seen people do this. Uh, one of the most creative ways was a guy took a crock pot, quarter-inch tubing, and a uh, an aquarium water pump, and he just cycled the, the water from the crock pot through the... Uh, quarter-inch tubing, crossed his bench, back and forth, and then back through the, uh, the little aquarium pump, back into his uh, crockpot. In, ingenious setup. I've also seen people do that exactly the same thing with a full-size water heater. You're using a lot of electricity. Uh, but full, full-size water heater, just a little circulating pump, and half-inch PVC across a, a whole greenhouse, maybe half the size of this building. So they were doing um, woody shrub cuttings, um, but it worked fine for them, and the amount of cuttings that they could get off that more than paid for their electricity. So those are just some ideas. Like I said, I'm doing my cuttings just on the floor right now, and it works just fine for me, but oftentimes if you can get those cuttings up on uh, on a bench... Another thing that you can do that I've done is I've simply used a, a bench that has slats on it, put the weed barrier over it, and take the weed barrier clear to the ground and cl- enclose the underneath side of that table and just put a little space heater under there. And it takes some working to get the, the dialed in just right so your, your heat on that table is about 70 degrees And, you know, that's different for every setup. So just take some working to get the temperature just right, and uh, your plants will be happy. Now, this is one of the most important points that I really wanted to make sure I got to. Timing. Timing's a big deal. When you take cuttings, typically herbaceous cuttings take three to four weeks to root from the time you cut them. And then they will take about three to four weeks of growth to get up to a sellable size. So if my market starts, let's say, the first week in May, when do I want to start doing my cuttings? First week in March. Two months, roughly, right? That's when I want to start doing my cuttings. So this flat of cuttings, You've noticed I've got um, one, two, three, four different kinds of plants in this one plug tray. And they're small. They've just been cut. This is what they look like. And in a couple of weeks, I very gently pull out one of those plugs. And this particular plant, anybody guess? You're right, it's basil. Do you know what kind of basil? Uh, Close, but no. This is actually a really neat basil. It's called African blue basil. How many of you have heard of African blue basil? It's real pretty. Uh, The veins on the leaves are purple. And the underneath side of the leaf is purple. It's just really pretty. But you can't get seed for African blue basil. It's only propagated by cuttings. That's the only way you can get it. But if you notice... couple of weeks into it, I've got roots. Can you see those roots on the on the plug? Now, I could transplant this at this point. The, the root ball is holding together. That soil ball is all staying in one piece. I could, at this point, drop it into a four-inch uh, flat, and it will take off and grow, but I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> what I'm going to do is leave it in for a few weeks and get it a little bit leggy, like this. <clears throat> These cuttings, are probably f- pushing more along the lines of four weeks. And if you look, they're about four inches tall. Now, why do I want to do that? This is really important. I pull one cutting out. And you see, it's about four inches long. I'm going to cut that right where my fingers are. And that's going to do two things for me. Number one, below my fingers, you see there's two sets of leaves, Almost all plants have a little shoot that comes out at the base of every leaf stem, right? So when I cut that plant there, there's going to be four shoots that come out. And it's going to make a bushy plant. If I don't do that, it's going to be an herb on a stick. And stick herbs don't look nice to sell. You've probably seen stuff like that. Flower on a stick is not pretty. You want it bushy, compact, and nice and full. So I accomplished that by cutting and leaving two to three leaf nodes or sets of leaf nodes on my original plant. That's now rooted. So I can I can cut that right there, and then I can take that original plant, transplant that, maybe the next day or or even the same day, stick that in a four-inch pot. You're giving it new soil, and. Soil fertilizer, the roots just go out into that new soil, and it just takes off and becomes a nice, compact, bushy plant for market. Ah, but what did I do to the top part of that plant? That becomes another set of cuttings. Trim off the bottom set of leaves, and it goes right into a plug tray for my next cycle of cuttings. So I don't have to do a lot at one time. I just have this rotation going. This... First set of cuttings, grows up, take the tops off, and those become cuttings for the next set, following behind. Usually three to four weeks. So from cut to rooting, three to four weeks, from when it starts producing those roots to where you can get it to a sellable size, three to four weeks. It's depending on the weather condition and what you're feeding it and how you're treating. Your little babies. Another thing. On your tag, I just put... On my cuttings, I put one tag in each flat. And I'm listing everything that's in that flat. On my seeded plants, I get a tag for every variety of seed that I plant. So, a little bit different. The cuttings, I just write everything that's in that flat. And then I write the date that I cut those, uh, made those cuttings. Um, this particular tag says 5 4 16. That's the date I cut. There's one date on there. A few weeks down the road when I transplant those cuttings, I'm going to write a transplant date on there as well. So when they get transplanted, this one tag is going to have to go into one of those varieties that I've just transplanted. So I've got looks like five varieties inside that plug tray. There's five things listed on that uh, tag. So I'm going to put it with one of those varieties. And I'm going to put it front and center. Usually I put this cutting tag right behind the uh, the commercial picture tag that I have in each one of those pots. So I have picture tags for everything that I, that I grow. But that, that tag there will go front and center, And then on the floor with all the other plants that are growing in my greenhouse, at some point in time, a few weeks later, I'm scooping up those plants, putting them on a rack, and taking them to the farmer's market. So now they're at the market, and as I'm going through and arranging everything, making sure everything's standing up and the tags are in straight and it looks nice, I run across this tag. Oh, so I pull the tag out, and I write the sell date on it. Now, am I going to sell that whole flat that day? No. But that's the date I begin to sell. That's the date the plants are sizable to sell. So I'm going to wind up with three dates on that tag. And then the tag's going to go in my back pocket. And I'm going to save those and put them just in a little jar or something in my greenhouse. So at the end of the season, I've got a big handful of tags that then becomes my data for next year. So if I find out this year, man, I was really short on a particular thing, well, then I can go back and look at my tags. I can see when I cut it. I can increase the numbers. Or perhaps it was too early and it was just, ah, Some things just grow real leggy. And you learn you don't put mints in the same flat as you do um, rosemary. And lavender because the rosemary and lavender are going to take a few weeks longer. Meanwhile, the mints have just gone <laughs> and just taken over. And uh, it's like uh, try to get things that, that grow roughly the same uh, rate. <clears throat> so I can I can look at those dates and think ah, oh, I was too late. I was a few weeks too late. So I'm going to back my date up. You, you see what I'm saying? Those dates become invaluable. Uh, data for the next year when you go to fill out your calendar and when you need to be doing things for the upcoming season. So in theory, I would be doing that right now, putting in these dates and so that when I flip my calendar up, it's like, okay, so this week I need to do these cuttings, those cuttings. And uh, that's how I keep track of things. Some miscellaneous uh, cuttings. There's a plant called Cranesbill. I don't know. It's, it's got a couple of different names. It's also called perennial geranium. I don't know if any of you recognize the picture there. Excuse me. It's, a, it's a perennial. Kind of dormant. It's just sitting there doing nothing this time of year. I took that pic- picture probably two weeks ago. Um, it's got really pretty flowers. The foliage is very peculiar. has a str- fairly strong smell to it. But I just simply reach down into that that mound and pull out a couple of shoots. The shoot on the right, I've simply pulled out of the plant. And you see all those dead stems and leaves on it? That's what they look like when I pull it out of the plant. And those are probably about six and a half, seven inches long. Clean all that dead material off, and it looks like the center uh, stem. It's all cleaned off. Now I'll take that center stem and carefully cut it in one-inch segments. And I'll be careful to keep them right side up because there's a top on that and a bottom on that, those little pieces, like you see there on the right. At that point, I'll take those little pieces and I'll just poke them into a plug tray. The top half will grow shoots. The bottom half will grow roots. And it'll produce several shoots so you don't have to do the cut the top leggy part off. It just, it'll fill out on its own with several shoots just right off. And then you see the three tops there that have also stuck in the in the plug tray as well. Can you show the previous picture? That one. Uh, there's a couple of things... That uh, you can do this to. I haven't done this to a lot of plants. Perennial geranium or cranesbill, it's called different places in the states. Um, it works really well. Um, oriental poppies or perennial poppies, you know, the, the, the big poppy that produces the big seed head, if you dig down underneath of it, the roots on those perennial poppies look like a big rat tail. And that's actually a root, whereas this is actually a stem in this picture. But those poppy roots that look just like a naked rat tail, you can do exactly the same thing. Cut it up into individual one-inch sections. Keep them right side up. Uh, if, if they drop on the floor and they get all mixed up, then just lay them sideways in your plug trays and like almost cover them with dirt. Yes? No, the, those aren't roots. The, that, that mess on the left are not roots. Those are just dead stems um, from leaves that have come in the previous season. So it's that stem right there. If I can step away from the mic for just one minute, that's one year's growth that's the next year's growth and that's the new growth for this season. So this season, like I said, I took these cuttings about two weeks ago. It's going to grow from there until about there this summer. So, so that, that brown, stringy stuff, that's not roots. That's um, old, dead leaves from last year. Uh, so, it also, with the uh, like I said, with the, uh, the poppies, you can do that with the root. Keep them right side up, poke them down in the tray, and just have them stick up out of the soil just a tiny little bit. The top part will grow root, uh, shoots, and the bottom part will grow roots. And it doesn't take much more than a handful of roots, and you can make a lot of plants really fast uh, using this method. Something else to consider. Our time. What do, we got? what do we got? So we got five minutes. Okay, we're doing good. As far as mother stock, um, I have most of my plants that I really like and I use from year to year. I have those out in the flower bed. I plant them at my church. I give them to friends. So I have that stock in case mine dies. But my mother stock plants, I try to put them in three to four gallon fairly large pot potted you know pot them up because in the fall if they're not tender like basil i will put them outside in the fall and let them go dormant so i want that plant to think it's winter time to go to sleep it goes dormant and then about six to eight weeks before i need my cuttings so in our previous scenario market starts first of may I'm going to start cutting first of March, six to eight weeks before that. When do I want to bring these potted plants in to the greenhouse from outside? About early January, about right now. And I want those to start waking up. They're, they're going to get warmer in the greenhouse, they're going to get watered, they're going to get some fertilizer, and they're going to wake up. And again, that first flush of growth is is the very best cuttings, So so that's the timing. So let's say you're on vacation, and you're two states away, and you see a plant in somebody else's garden that you really, really want. Um, of course, you ask, hey, can I have a few of those cuttings right there? <laughs> Ooh. Um, I don't know, you know, people are usually very generous. Take the cuttings way longer than you need them. So herbaceous cuttings, you know, I'm going to cut it like six inches long, way longer than it needs to be. And then I'm going to put those cuttings in a brown paper bag and then soak it in water. And then I'm going to put it in a plastic bag so it doesn't get all over everywhere. And I'm going to poke it under the seat of my car or somewhere where it's fairly dark and cool. So a few years ago, we, we traveled. I live up Pacific Northwest in Washington State, we were on vacation down in California. I found some really nice cuttings that I wanted to take home. So uh, in a bag, soaking wet, and then under the car seat where the air conditioner was blowing. So just kept them cold. You can get cuttings to last a week to 10 days or so, just depending on what it is and how careful you're keeping them. You can keep them you know, quite some time. When you get back home, the, the bag's kind of falling apart, but pull them apart and then go ahead and trim them up to their, their final size, clean them up, rooting hormone in the plug, and they'll take off and do just fine. So you can get cuttings from way over there and bring them home. Yes? So, in those last little pieces of wood that you just showed us, more did you stick that a rooting hormone as well? This particular picture, I didn't. Because I'm at somebody else's house. But I would have. I would have. Yeah. How much time do we have? Yes. Do you ever do blackberries, raspberries, things like that? Uh, Blackberries? No. Because we live in the Pacific Northwest. And blackberries are the closest thing to a communist that you can find. And it goes everywhere on its own. And you don't need to. Uh, Sorry. Was that political? Sorry. Sorry. Raspberries do do by divisions. Just dig them up and divide them. Raspberries don't do cuttings that well. You just get them from the roots. Way better. blackberries. I mean, blackberries, you want to get them. Just dig up some root. Just get the root. Yeah, division. Can you do cuttings? You know, mm, not very well on blackberries. Um, you can watch because the blackberries will grow out, and the moment they hit the soil. They will grow roots. At that point, you can walk around and find all those little the shoots that have hit the ground and dig up those while they're just a little tiny plant. And, yeah, once you get that crown, you can take it away and transplant it. Yes. Figs? Oh, 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 oh. Okay. So, figs. Real quick here. Uh, I think we just got a, maybe a minute. This is kind of my farmer's market setup here. I've got big tags on the, on the rack. And then you see every little pot has its own little picture tag. Um, this is a picture of how I do grapes. Grapes, 14, 16 inches. You get at least three or four leaf nodes, a little bit of rooting hormone and just jam them down into pumice. And put them in a protected area outside over the winter, because you're doing this in the winter when they're dormant. And by spring, they're going to be full of roots. And little shoots starting to grow. Same thing, with, I don't know why I threw this in, some of our blueberries. You notice the back blueberry is sitting on a quarter. It's the biggest cherries. <laughs> um, uh, these cuttings here are kiwi. Kiwi. You would do figs the same way you would do kiwi and grapes. A cutting about this long, um, you know and skin it up a little bit, a little bit of rooting hormone, and put it in pumice. This is actually perlite, but pumice, perlite, whatever you have. For, for grapes and kiwis, you're going, you're going about 14 inches long. You're going about this big. That's a 6-inch pot. Oh, and this is really, really important. On kiwis that have male and female plants... Once you cut those, you don't know what they are because you can't turn the leaves over and check. So, sorry, that was bad humor. Um, You don't know whether you cut these so you can't mix them, right? Because you don't want to sell people a bunch of male plants or all female plants. So you notice what I'm doing. I put the female cuttings in a round pot and they always get planted in a round pot even after they've gotten rooted. The males... Always go in square pots. Because we're always square. You get it? Um, so that keeps the males and the, s- and the females separate. Otherwise, once you lose the tag, if they're all in round pots, pff, it's anybody's guess. Yes? What's inside a pot? Is that Perlite or pumice. Uh, grapes, kiwi, figs. Cut them the same way. While they're dormant, sleeping, just poke them down in there. A little bit of rooting hormone. Like this picture here. You can see that I use powdered rooting hormone on this just because I'm using it up. Um, Just real quick, geranium cutting, and I think I'm pretty much done and out of time. Yes? Just a question about you you put things, you you put these cuttings outside during the winter. Does that work well in really northern climates where we get really, really cold? Put them in a little bit of a sheltered area. you know, cold because... They're dormant. You cut them outside. So they're already outside, right? So put them in a pot. Put them maybe in a little bit of a sheltered area where they don't get uh, an icy blast on them to really dry them out. You just don't want them to dry out. If you live in a northern area where you get a lot of sun, you don't want the sun to scald or dry out that stem. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. I've never done mulberries. Um, but maybe go online, check quick. Figs, do you have to use the the uh, rooting Sometimes no. Figs root fairly easy. Uh, because I live where I do, I'm kind of at the northern edge of fig territory and so I do just because, but if you're down in places where figs just naturally go, probably wouldn't need hormone on those. Um Garnese. look that one up I, I haven't really I've been around those plants but I haven't really done those so what? About roses? what? Roses. roses roses are well you can do it either way either like an herbaceous or like a woody cutting sedum so uh sedum plants like this picture here just simply pull the leaf off and if you get that little bud. Sometimes you can take it and carve it off the stem, but they just pull the leaves off and they will root and turn into plants just like this. Yeah. Can you root peppers and is there an organic root compound? Um, well, the, the two rooting hormones in each one of those mixes are organic, but it's organic as in organic chemistry rather than organic as in Straw Hat and Mother Earth News. There's a two different kinds of organic. Um, we are organic because we're made entirely of organic molecules, right? So it's, it's a conundrum. Ro- the hormones themselves are made of organic molecules because it's a carbon-based compound. But it's not organic as in Certification. Organic, But they are normal hormones that you find. Actually, yes, you can. Um, You can make a tea out of willow bark. That's organic. Willow bark has uh, has compounds in it that will act kind of like rooting hormone. And I think I need to be done here. This media was brought to you by Audioverse